Hello there. Today let's start with chapter 5. A perfume saint displays his wonders. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. I did not have this wisdom of Solomon to comfort me. I gazed searchingly about me on any excursion from home for the face of my distant guru. But my path did not cross his until after the completion of my high school studies. Two years elapsed between my flight with Amar towards the Himalayas and the great day of Sri Yukteswar's arrival into my life. During this interim, I met a number of sages, the perfume saint, the tiger swami, Nagendra Nath Bhaduri, Master Mahasaya and the famous Bengali scientist Jagadish Chandra Bose. My encounter with the perfume saint had two permeables, one harmonious and the other humorous. God is simple. Everything else is complex. Do not seek absolute values in the relative world of nature. These philosophical finalities gently entered my ear as I stood silently before a temple image of Kali. Turning, I confronted a tall man whose garb, or lack of it, revealed him a wandering sadhu. You have indeed penetrated the bewilderment of my thoughts. I smiled gratefully. The confusion of binning and terrible aspects in nature, as symbolized by Kali, has puzzled wiser heads than mine. Few there be who solve her mystery. Good and evil is the challenging riddle which life places sphinx-like before every intelligence. Attempting no solution, most men pay for feet with their lives. Penalty now even as in the days of Thebes. Here and there, a towering lonely figure never cries defeat. From the Maya of duality, he plucks the cleaveless truth of unity. You speak with conviction, sir. I have long exercised an honest introspection, the ex- exquisitely painful approach to wisdom. Self-scrutiny, relentless observance of one's thoughts is a stark and a shattering experience. It pulverizes the stoutest ego. But true self-analysis mathematically operates to produce seers. The way of self-expression, individual acknowledgments, results in egotists sure of the right to their private interpretations of God and the universe. Truth humbly retires, no doubt, before such arrogant originality. I was enjoying the discussion. Man can understand no eternal verity until he has freed himself from pretensions. The human mind, barred to a centurized slime, is teeming with the repulsive life of countless world delusions. Struggles of the battlefield pale into insignificance here when man first contends with inner enemies. No mortal force these 
to be overcome by a harrowing array of might. Omnipresent, unresting, pursuing man, even in sleep, subtly equipped with miasmic weapons, these soldiers of ignorant lusts seek to slay us all. Thoughtless is the man who buries his ideals, surrendering to the common fate. May he seem other than impotent, wooden, ignominious. Respected sir, have you no sympathy for the bewildered masses? The sage was silent for a moment, then answered obliquely, To love both the invisible God, repository of all virtues, and visible man, apparently possessed of none, is often baffling. But ingenuity is equal to the maze. Inner research soon exposes a unity of all human minds, the stalwart kinship of selfish motive. In one sense at least, the brotherhood of man stands revealed. An august humility follows this leveling discovery. It ripens its compassion for one's fellows, blind to the healing potentials of the soul awaiting exploration. The saints of every age, sir, have felt like yourself for the sorrows of the world. Only the shallow man loses responsiveness to the woes of others' lives as he sinks into narrow suffering of his own. The sadhu's austere face was noticeably softened. The one who practices a scalpel, self-dissection, will know an expansion of universal pity. Release is given him from the deafening demands of his ego. The love of God flowers on such soil. The creature finally turns to his creator, if for no other reason than to ask in anguish, Why, Lord, why? By ignoble whims, whips of pain, man is driven at last into the infinite presence, whose beauty alone should lure him. The sage and I were present in the calcul. Calcutta Kaligat Temple, whither I had gone to view its famed magnificence. With a sweeping gesture, my chance companion dismissed the ornate dignity. Bricks and mortar sing us no audible tune. The heart opens only to the human chant of being. We strolled to the inviting sunshine at the entrance where throngs of devotees were passing to and fro. You are young, the sage surveyed me thoughtfully. India too is young. The ancient rishis laid down ineradicable patterns of spiritual living. Their hoary dictum suffice for this day and land. Not outmoded, not unsophisticated against the gullies of materialism, the disciplinary percepts mold India still. By millenniums, more than embarrassed scholars care to compute. The skeptic time has validated Vedic worth. Take it for your heritage. As he was reverently bidding farewell to the eloquent sadhu, he revealed the clairvoyant perception. 
After you leave here today, an unusual experience will come your way. I quitted the temple prisons and wandered along aimlessly. Turning a corner, I ran into an old acquaintance, one of those fellows whose conversational powers ignore time and embrace eternity. I shall let you go in a very short while, he promised. If you will tell me all that has happened during the years of our separation. What a paradox. I must leave you now. But he held me by the hand, forcing out tidbits of information. He was like a ravenous wolf, I thought in amusement. The longer I spoke, the more hungrily he sniffed for news. Inwardly, I petitioned the goddess Kali to devise a graceful means of escape. My companion left me abruptly. I sighed with relief and doubled my pace, dreading any relapse into the garrulous fever. Hearing rapid footsteps behind me, I quickened my speed. I dared not look back. But with a bound, a youth rejoined me jovially clasping my shoulder. I forgot to tell you of Gandhababa, perfume saint, who was grazing yonder house. He pointed to a dwelling of a few yards distant. Do meet him. He is interesting. You may have an unusual experience. Goodbye. And he actually left me. The similarly worded prediction of the sadhu at Kaligat temple flashed to my mind. In truth, I entered the house and was ushered into a commodious parlour. A crowd of people were sitting, orient-wise, here and there on a thick orange-coloured carpet. An aved whisper reached my ear. Behold Gandhababa on the leopard skin. He can give the natural perfume of any flower to a scentless one or revive a wilted blossom or make a person's skin exude delightful fragrance. I looked directly at the saint. His quick gaze rested on mine. He was plump and bearded with dark skin and large gleaming eyes. Son, I'm glad to see you. Say what you want. Would you like some perfume? What for? I thought his remark rather childish. To experience a miraculous way of enjoying perfumes. Harnessing God to make orders? What of it? God makes perfumes anyway. Yes, but he fashions frail bottles of petals for fresh use and discard. Can you materialize flowers? Yes, but usually I produce perfumes, little friend. Then scent factories will go out of business. I will permit them to keep their trade. My own purpose is to demonstrate the power of God. Sir, is it necessary to prove God? Isn't he performing miracle in everything, everywhere? Yes. But we too should manifest some of his infinite creative variety. How long did it take to master your art? Twelve years. 
for manufacturing scents by astral means it seems my honored saint you have been wasting a dozen years for fragrances which you can obtain within a few rupees from a florist shop perfumes fade with flowers perfumes fade with death why should i desire that which pleases the body only mr philosopher you please my mind now stretch forth your right hand he made a gesture of blessing I was a few feet away from Ganda Baba. No one else was near enough to contact my body. I extended my hand, which the yogi did not touch. What perfume do you want? Rose? Be it so. To my great surprise, the charming fragrance of rose was wafted strongly from the center of my palm. I smilingly took a large white scentless flower from a nearby vase. Can this odorless blossom be permeated with jasmine? Be it so. A jasmine fragrance instantly shot from the petals. I thanked the wonder worker and seated myself by one of his students. He informed me that the Ganda Baba, whose proper name was Swami Vishuddhananda, had learned many astonishing yoga secrets from a master in Tibet. The Tibetan yogi, I was assured, had attained the age of over a thousand years. His disciple, Ganda Baba, does not always perform his perfume feats in the simple verbal manner you have just witnessed. The student spoke with obvious pride in his master. His procedure differs widely to accord with diversity in temperaments. He is marvelous. Many members of the Calcutta intelligentsia are among his followers. I inwardly re resolved not to add myself to their number. A guru, too literally marvelous, was not my liking. With polite thanks to Ganda Baba, I departed. Sauntering home, I reflected on the three varied encounters the day had brought forth. My sister Uma met me as I entered the door. You are getting quite stylish. Using perfumes? Without a word, I motioned her to smell my hand. What an attractive rose fragrance. It is unusually strong. Thinking it was strong unusual, I silently placed the astrally scented blossom under her nostrils. Oh! I love Jasmine. She sees the flower. A ludicrous bafflement passed over her face as he as she repeatedly sniffed the odor of Jasmine from a type of flower she well knew to be scentless. Her reactions disarmed my suspicion that Ganga Baba, sorry, Ganda Baba might have induced in me an auto-suggestive state whereby I alone could detect the fragrances. Later, I heard from a friend, Alagananda, that the perfume saint had a power which I wish were possessed by the starving millions of the world. I was present with a hundred other guests at Ganda Baba's home in Bird One, Alagananda told me. It was a gala occasion. 
because the yogi was reputed to have the power of extracting objects out of thin air, I laughingly requested him to materialize some out-of-season tangerines. Immediately, the luchis had been served on all the banana leaf plates became puffed up. Each of the bread envelopes proved to contain a peeled tangerine. I bit into my own with some trepidation but found it delicious. Years later, I understood my inner realization how Gandhababa accomplished his materializations. The method, alas, is beyond the reach of the world's hungry hordes. The different sensory stimuli to which man reacts, tactual, visual, gustatory, auditory, olfactory, are produced by vibratory variations in electrons and protons. The vibrations in turn are regulated by prana, life trons, subtle life forces or finer than atomic energies intelligently charged with the five distinctive sensory idea substances. Gandhababa attuning himself with the pranic force by certain yoga practices was able to guide the life trons to rearrange their vibratory structure and to objectify the desired result. His perfume, fruit and other miracles were actual materializations of mundane vibrations and were, and were not inner sensations hypnotically produced. Hypnotism has been used by physicians in minor operations as a sort of psychical, psychical chloroform for persons who might be endangered by an anesthetic. But a hypnotic state is harmful to those often subjected to it. A negative psychological effect ensues that in time deranges the brain cells. Hypnotism is trespassed into the territory of another's consciousness. Its temporary phenomena have nothing in common with the miracles performed by men of divine realization. Awake in God, true saints effect changes in this dream world by means of a will harmoniously attuned to the to the creative cosmic dreamer. Wonder workings such as those shown by the perfume saint are spectacular but spiritually useless. Having little purpose beyond entertainment, they are digressions from a serious search for God. Ostentatious display of unusual past is decried by masters. The Persian mystic Abu Sayyid once laughed at certain fakis, Muslim ascetics, who were proud of their miraculous powers over water, air and space. A frog is also at home in the water. Abu Sayyid pointed out in gentle scorn. The crow and the vulture easily fly in the air. The devil is simultaneously present in the east and in the west. A true man is he, is he who dwells in righteousness among his fellow men, who may buy and sell, yet is never for a single instant forgetful of God. On another occasion, the great Persian teacher gave his views on the religious life thus. 
to lay aside what you have in your head selfish desires and ambitions to bestow freely what you have in your hand and never to flinch from the blows of adversity neither the impartial sage at kaligat temple nor the tibetan trained yogi had satisfied my earning for a guru my heart needed no tutor for its recognitions and cried a spontaneous bravo the more resoundingly because it was unsoftened summoned from silence when i finally met my master by sublimity of example alone he taught me the measure of a true man so here ends chapter 5 thanks for listening